How many hours of sleep a night do you think you need? And how many would you say you're actually getting? Well, we're going to look at what the research tells us about all of that in just a few minutes. Now, some of you might be surprised to hear me put sleep and weight together, but the truth is that there's a really strong and fascinating connection between your sleep pattern and quality and your weight and your metabolism and your eating habits. So we're going to talk about the sleep-weight connection on today's podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Food Freedom and Faith Podcast. I'm your imperfect host, Cheryl Sharko, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and biblical counselor, here to get real with you, my sisters in Christ. Yep, I'm talking to you who struggle with restrictive food rules, chronic dieting, yo-yo diets, emotional eating, and other issues that consume your life, your joy, and your peace. So get your comfy pants on like I did and get ready for some real talk about this journey, real nutrition information, and some real solutions so you can live a life in true food freedom and faith. Hello, sisters. So many people spend an enormous amount of time and effort on trying to eat healthfully, spend all their energy on exercise. But what we often neglect is another major, major factor that can have just as great an impact on our health, and that is sleep. And this is why I'm discussing this topic today. As you know, I do not promote a singular focus on weight loss for the general public, and I don't promote dieting for sustainable health. So this episode's not intended as a weight-focused discussion, but as a way of helping those who are trying to attain a healthier weight and healthy lifestyle behaviors, but might be overlooking this missing factor. I'm gonna come back to talking about sleep in just a few minutes, but first I wanna discuss eating and eating regulation. In other words, what happens in our bodies when we eat and when we don't. I will divide eating into two categories. So the first category is hunger. Hunger. Hunger is the biological need for energy. It can be due to an increased energy usage. You might be using more energy on some days than others, as well as just having an empty stomach or you just haven't eaten in enough time to fuel your body properly. You can feel hunger. You all know what I'm talking about when I say hunger. And so it sounds kind of childish to be defining hunger, but we'll get to in a minute why I'm doing that. But hunger is that biological need and you can feel that. The stomach can become uncomfortable or even painful. You might become tired. Your mind can get foggy or lethargic. Some people can get grumpy or irritable and not really know why. Uh, some people can even get headaches or nausea nausea, which it makes it harder to eat. Sometimes people wait so long to eat that they actually feel difficulty in eating because they become nauseous. Hunger is very physical occurrence, in other words. And here's what happens. This is a very basic overview. So when we haven't eaten for some hours, let's say, there are physical and chemical signals that turn on our hunger cues. When your stomach is empty, it and your intestines do these kind of sweeping contractions, cleaning house, so to speak, of any debris. And you can often feel that, you can often hear that. And also, when you have a physical need for food, 
the stomach cells release a hormone called ghrelin. And this hormone ghrelin is what we tend to call the hunger hormone. It signals your brain that it's time to eat and you want some food. Now, in addition, your blood sugar has dropped by then. So the amount of glucose in your blood that's fueling all your cells in your brain, well, that's dropped to a low level now. So that's gonna cause... Uh, another whole system to signal some more hunger symptoms in you. And this is hunger. Then when we eat, that ghrelin, the hunger hormone level, begins to fall. The blood sugar level starts to rise to where we need it to be to fuel the system. And other hormones rise to tell our brains that we are full. And that's what we call satiety, that fullness or having enough everything's back where it needs to be, that's called satiety. So I mentioned some other hormones are rising to tell our brains that we're full, and I'll just mention two of these hormones. One is insulin, which is released in response to the increased blood sugar, and leptin. Leptin's kind of the opposite, so to speak, of ghrelin. Leptin is what we call the satiety hormone. So these are the biological happenings of eating regulation, hunger and satiety, hunger and satiety. On the other hand, eating behavior, it's not only controlled by these biological factors. And that's why I defined hunger so specifically, because now I want to talk about the second category. So in addition to hunger, we have the second category, and that is appetite. And appetite is the desire for food that's not from a biological need for energy. And this can be caused by factors such as your emotions. So for good or bad, your emotions can cause you to have an appetite. Now, we have just spent the past entire two months discussing this on the podcast. So if you're interested in help with emotional eating, if you find you're overeating a lot and it's due to emotional reactions and dealing with emotions... You can go back through the past eight podcasts and get some real practical help for that and some understanding as to why that's happening. Another reason for appetite, which goes along with emotions, is stress. Stress um, interacts with your cortisol, which is a hormone in your body, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. Another reason for appetite is boredom. Boredom eating, right? We've all done that. Or maybe habits, habitual eating. Maybe you normally eat a particular food at a particular time of day or while you're watching something or doing a certain activity. You might not have hunger. It just might be a habit. Another reason for appetite is just enjoying time with others, such as social gatherings, holidays. We all do that. That's really a wonderful use of food. And cravings. Cravings which can sometimes be driven by certain hormones. And we're going to discuss that in a bit as well. So all these factors affect your desire to eat for reasons other than fueling your body. In other words, appetite. So appetite can have a big effect on our eating behaviors. It can overpower biological hunger and satiety signals even. So that was what we need to understand about hunger and appetite, and now we can turn to looking at sleep. And we're going to do that after this quick break. There's a lot of new stuff going on over here, starting with our newsletter. 
Each week, you can expect some cool stuff like behind-the-scenes sneak peeks of the online program that's coming out in a few months or updates or any free resource. Well, those go directly to our newsletter subscribers. So don't miss a beat, a pod, or a peek by signing up for the free email newsletter at CherylSharko.com slash newsletter. I want to give a little disclaimer here. You might be hearing lots of noises in the background. Uh, we just had Hurricane Ian blow through here. I live in Florida. Um, we did fine. We just today lost power, which is after the hurricane, oddly enough, and it's beautiful outside. But I am hearing helicopters flying around, looking probably at damage and what's going on. I'm hearing all kinds of, you know, probably tree cutting machines and whatnot. So I apologize if you can kind of hear a lot going on, but let's talk about sleep. Sleep. Now, our moms always told us that sleep was important, and man, were they right. Now, with the newer and developing field of sleep study, we can find out more about how imperative it really is to our overall health. It affects many areas of our lives and health and well-being, from cardiovascular disease, believe it or not, to diabetes, and even to cancers. In addition, the fascinating connection between sleep and eating is becoming uncovered. Adults, let's talk about adult needs. Adults typically need between, don't faint when I say this, but they typically need between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. Now, of course, everyone is different. Everyone has their own biology, but generally you probably need a little more sleep than you think you do or maybe than you're getting. Because in our modern American culture, most people are not getting enough sleep. Most Americans get less than seven hours a night on average. That has to do with a lot of lifestyle factors. And we'll talk about that when we get into how you can get a better sleep. Now, when we are regularly sleeping less than six hours a night... We become more susceptible to colds and viruses, infectious diseases, as well as chronic illnesses like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So let's give a quick overview of sleep. Let's talk about sleep. It's important to understand it to the degree that we can and what it is and what it's not. Now, sleep is not actually a total shutdown but it's actually quite an active time for our brains. During sleep, tissues and hormones are also being made and being restored. Muscle growth happens during sleep and the work, the mysterious work of memory making is done. Now, sleep stages occur throughout the night and repeat. And there are several stages of sleep that we go through. Sometimes it's divided into three stages, sometimes four. So I'm going to summarize it this way. Stage one, stage one is when you're just falling asleep. You're semi-conscious. The funny thing about this time of sleep, it's sometimes when people snore, but they think they're awake. And nurses have reported this a lot where people are falling asleep. If they're told they're snoring, they might say, no, I'm awake. I was listening to everything that just happened. So just a very interesting time of sleep. Stage two is what often we've heard of as REM, rapid eye movement stage. Stage two is the REM stage of sleep. Now, during REM stage, the motor muscles, all your big muscle groups, 
except for your eyes, are paralyzed. So they're not moving. And it's believed that this is the stage when dreaming occurs during REM sleep. Thankfully, our muscles are more paralyzed or else we would be acting out our dreams. Now, of course, we do know that people can sleepwalk. And so there's something amiss there. Now, stage three, I'm going to call stages three and four. I'm not going to separate them out because this is the stage or stages of deep sleep. Deep sleep. Deep sleep stage, so important for the restoration, for the growth, for the repair, for all of those things I mentioned. That happens during stages three and four, deep sleep. Now, as the night goes on, those episodes of deep sleep, stages three and four, they lessen in both frequency and duration and the REM sleep increases. So as the night is earlier on, as the night's beginning, you're getting more episodes and longer periods of deep sleep, that very restorative stage or stages, I guess. Um, But as the night goes on, you're getting less and less of that stage or those stages and more instead of the REM sleep stage, stage two. So in addition to this, there are more episodes of wakening. So after you go through uh, some of the cycle stages, you your body actually wakes up, but it's very quick. It's called brief awakening stage or brief awakening period. And that occurs throughout the night. You don't even know it. You fall right back asleep. But as the night goes on, you have more of those brief awakening episodes These brief awakenings, they can become a problem when our brains are really overloaded with stress because it's in those moments of brief awakenings that normally we would just fall right back to sleep. It's when we're really stressed, we're living with burdens and stress and concerns. It's like our brain takes advantage of those brief awakening moments to jump to action, wake us up fully, especially as they occur more frequently early in the morning. You might find that in your really stressful periods of life, you're having a lot of early morning awakening and you can't get back to sleep because your brain's on overdrive. In addition, as we age, this becomes even more pronounced because we get less of those deep sleep cycles or at least the duration and depth of them are lessened and we have more and more of those brief awakening cycles. So as we age, sleeping can become even more difficult. Um, That's why sometimes the older people get, the earlier they're waking in the morning and they're just up for the day. So those are these stages of sleep. Let's talk about the sleep cycle. This is very interesting to understand. And the sleep cycle, it's controlled mainly by two systems. The first system, it's called sleep pressure. Sometimes it's called sleep drive, but we'll call it sleep pressure. This sleep pressure, this system, it builds up almost a pressure or drive to sleep throughout your day. It makes you sleepy in time for bed at night. And how this happens, I won't go into too much detail, but the way your cells use energy Picture it almost using up the energy and leaving behind a little remnant, a little scrap. Well, those scraps or remnants of the used up energy build up throughout your day. 
until they help make you sleepy for bed at night. It's pretty actually interesting and very cool. The second system that helps regulate your sleep cycle is your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm, which is your internal clock. Your circadian rhythm controls many, many functions, but it largely is helping your sleep-wake cycle. It's helping your body know when to sleep, when to wake up, and to do it somewhat automatically, all things being equal and healthy. The circadian rhythm, it's regulated by your body's production of a substance that's called melatonin. I know you've heard of melatonin. Sometimes people take this as a supplement. But your body makes its own melatonin. And it starts to do this. It starts to rise the levels of melatonin production about two hours before bedtime. It helps you go to sleep. So you can see that internal clock working in that. Isn't that amazing? So this starts to occur. The production of melatonin starts to occur when it becomes dark. Your circadian rhythm is based on light and dark. It's based on the sun. How it works is this. Your body will be making melatonin when it's dark. But when light, sunlight specifically, hits your eyes with a retina in the back of your eye, it sends a signal to your brain and then travels through your brain to a spot in the back and it will stop the production of melatonin. So light is going to stop the body from making melatonin, which makes us sleepy. And again, when the light goes away, now it's dark, that signal is no longer activated. So that gland in the brain is free to now make melatonin and make us sleepy. So now we have a basic overview of eating regulation and sleep. And so now, the moment we've been waiting for, let's talk about how the two interact. And they really do. But I want to say... It's so important for you to hear me say this. Now, it it could be more distressing than the stress you're already dealing with to hear me tell you how important it is to sleep when you just cannot do it. But don't despair. I'm not going to leave you hopeless and more stressed about not sleeping. I'm going to deal with and help you learn how to get better sleep in the end. But we're here to look at the connection between sleep and eating and health, right? So let's do that. And here are a couple challenges that we need to discuss regarding not getting enough quality sleep, okay? Low sleep. Low sleep has some effects. It increases that hunger hormone. Remember ghrelin? Ghrelin tells our brain to signal us that we're hungry, And while it's doing that, it's also lessening that satiety hormone, leptin. So you get that one-two punch to the jaw right there, right? Low sleep is shown by some studies also to increase a hormone called cortisol. Now, cortisol does many things, but one of the things it does is to increase another hormone called insulin. And insulin is going to act on your blood sugar and decrease it. It's going to give us a lower blood sugar. Now, insulin's not bad. We need it. It's how um, we get all the fuel into our cells to use it. So insulin's great. But when we have this almost 
interference by cortisol to increase the insulin maybe more than it needed to be, that as a result is going to cause the blood sugar to go lower than maybe it needed to be. And that is going to result in cravings of sugary and fatty foods. This crease in insulin also increases appetite and causes more fat storage. Now, there are great purposes for all of this because if your insulin has lowered your blood sugar a lot, well, we do need to eat more food. We need to get that blood sugar up. So it's a it's a good purpose. It has a wonderful purpose. It's just when it's being falsely elevated by increased cortisol because we're not sleeping as much, it's doing something we didn't really functionally need, which results in increasing appetite and maybe a little more energy storage in the form of fat for our bodies for when we need it. Low sleep also causes something, and I'm going to use this term, and I don't like to use too many unnecessary terms, but I think you're hearing this term a lot, and I want to kind of bring it back um, so you can understand it. But lower sleep causes something called insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance is just that, as I said a minute ago, insulin helps the blood sugar go into the cells where it's needed to fuel every cell of your body. But when your cells are resistant to the effects of insulin, well, now more blood sugar or glucose is staying in the blood where it's not needed and not going into everywhere else in your body where it is needed in all of your cells. And then that also results in storing some more fat. Low sleep also, it can increase the rate of a certain type of gut bacteria. Now, I had done a podcast, I should have looked up where number it was, but on gut health, and we do talk about something called the microbiome, which is the gut bacteria. And there, it can be broken up into two categories. One of those categories of gut bacteria in relation to weight and weight gain. I mean, there there are lots of benefits to gut bacteria, but for our discussion today, we're going to divide the gut bacteria, which lives in your intestines, which is crucially important, into two categories. One of those is called obesogenic. So when our obesogenic gut bacteria is kind of ruling the day down there, it can increase our weight gain. It can lead towards the direction of obesity. That's why it's named that. And low sleep can increase the ratio of obesogenic gut bacteria in our intestinal system. Low sleep also can lead to a low serotonin level, which is a hormone in our body, a neurotransmitter for our brains. And this can increase cravings for high sugar foods. But also, also, serotonin is actually used to make the melatonin. Remember that that's a substance that our brains are using to help us sleep at night. So when we have a low sleep, that leads to low serotonin production, and then that's going to lead to low melatonin production. Well, now we see a bad cycle of sleep deprivation, and we can get caught up in that. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. On top of this, 
Sorry, I know I'm the bearer of all kinds of bad news right now, but don't despair. Don't lose hope. I'm not leaving you here. But I'm just, let me finish off by saying that low sleep, it can lead to a more erratic emotional state. I don't think I need to emphasize this too much. We've all experienced this. We're a little less emotionally stable and controlled when we are living off of perpetual um, insufficient sleep, right? That also can lead to less eating restraint and control and less intentional decision-making where eating's concerned and more emotional eating for many, many people. So overall, low levels or low poor quality of sleep can lead over time to increased weight. The reason we're discussing this today, it's not again to make weight the top priority at all or trigger you to worry, but just to show you that if you're struggling with all that effort that diets take and all the effort that your uh, workout routine is doing, take a good look at your sleep. Take a good look at your sleep. That's kind of the third leg there. And you could be doing all of the controlling in the world of your diet and your exercise, but even that might be stressing you out to a point that it's interfering with your sleep. So we want to look at sleep as another important factor in that. And if you find that you, like most Americans, struggle to get the recommended seven to nine hours of quality sleep, stick around for some suggestions to improve this. And we'll talk about that right after this short break. Hey sisters, I have some good news. I wanna get to know you better. I want us to support one another in this process, this journey to food freedom. It can be tough if we're doing it alone, so let's not. Why don't you join me in our private online community? I'll put the link in the show notes, or you can just go to Facebook and search for True Food Freedom and Faith. The and is an ampersand. I really look forward to us getting to know one another, so I will see you there. Welcome back, and now it's time for the good news. All right, we need some good news because if you're already having trouble sleeping, I just basically pummeled you, and I'm sorry, but I just wanted to explain what the connection was, and now let's relax, take a deep breath, and we'll talk about the good news and how we can have an effect on getting a good quality sleep. Our brains are incredibly adept at learning, incredibly, whether for good or bad. You've seen it in yourself. Habits form quickly, um, often the negative ones, but our brains can learn. They can learn well. Our bodies are designed for restful and restorative sleep. You hear that? I want to repeat that. Our bodies are actually designed for restful and restorative sleep. It's just that. Most of us in this modern American culture have trained them to override those natural processes. And just as our brains and bodies may have learned to sleep poorly, they can. They can relearn to sleep well. It just takes some intentional and, here's the word, consistent adjustments. So you might have to be aware of what you're doing in your current habits, your routines, and your lifestyle that are affecting your sleep. And you have to make some intentional decisions, but you must apply these new behaviors consistently. Don't give up. 
Don't give up. I'm not talking about in two days, your sleep's going to be made better. You just, you have to impart new behaviors consistently to retrain. Retraining takes time. Relearning takes time. You've been doing things one way for a long time. So let's give a fair amount of time and effort to watching things adjust. Let's talk about help for better sleeping. Help for better sleeping. Well, first, first of all, see your doctor. Make sure there's no underlying medical problem. You might have sleep apnea, for example. So you always want to see your doctor if you're having a consistent problem with sleep and make sure there's nothing else going on. Number two, relax. Relax. The way you think about sleep and your sleep problems actually causes problems, okay? It's it's like the more you focus on them and obsess over the issues regarding sleep, the more problems result. So we want to adopt a mentality of relaxing, okay? Number three, recognize that you can't make yourself sleep. You can't force yourself to sleep, so let that go. Let that go. That's part of the relaxing. All you do is you provide the opportunity and the environment, and then you rest in that. That's your only job here. You're providing the opportunity and the environment, and then you are letting go and you're resting in that. If you make sleep a spectator sport, if you're laying there judging yourself on whether you're sleeping and you're rating it, you're going to stop that whole natural process. It really happens outside of your conscious thinking, okay? Now, if you just do your part, you do what you can, you can trust that you will learn to sleep, but it will take time and it's going to take consistency, as we said, and that's all fine. We're going to do something called sleep hygiene. You want to practice good sleep hygiene consistently. Now, again, you must do all, 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 all of the sleep hygiene points that I'm going to tell you, and you must do them consistently, okay? Then you can look forward to a new way of getting your 40 winks. Now, Because I'm going to go through a list and you're listening on a podcast, those things don't always go together very well. I have a PDF for you that you can download for free at CherylSharko.com slash sleep. So you can print out this list of sleep hygiene steps, have it with you and practice it every single night without fail, without skipping steps. Okay. All right. Let's talk about sleep hygiene. The first thing in general we want to adopt, and this is, you, you know, kind of what I'm here for, but eating nutritious whole foods throughout your day. All right. You want to have less of the, what we would call junkier foods, high sugar foods, chemically foods, fake foods, um, high, high energy, you know, falsely injected high energy foods that um, should go without saying if you're trying to sleep at night, you don't want to be having Red Bull before bed or anywhere in the evening. We'll talk about that. Um, But eating just generally nutritious whole foods, the way God made them. Next, you want to drink plenty of water throughout the day, but you really don't want to have too much of it closer to bedtime. So get 
more of your water drinking in earlier in the day. You need to have enough to hydrate you. That's part of having a healthy body. But of course, you don't want to be up peeing all night because you've had some within the couple hours before bed. Next, get regular exercise. This is so important to get regular exercise. And I am not talking about killing yourself at the gym every day. No, that is not necessary. And in some cases, it can be detrimental and add to the cortisol levels in your body. But just maybe getting brisk walk every day, um, get some resistance training in every day, do some cardio every day, because this not only is going to help your body function better in every way, physical activity has an effect on every part of your body, but it's going to help that sleep pressure build up. Remember, the more energy the cells are using, the more they're building up the scraps and building up the remnants to build up the sleep pressure. The caveat here, you do not want to be doing exercise within two hours of bedtime. Your your whole adrenal system, your whole metabolism will be on fire. It will be like supercharged before you go to bed. That's not helpful. So make sure you're not exercising within two hours of bedtime, just like drinking. Next, you want to avoid naps throughout the day that are longer than 20 minutes. Now, there's nothing wrong with napping. And in fact, if you have not been getting sufficient sleep, having naps can actually help use up some of those scraps, some of that sleep pressure. And just like with physical activity and exercise, small bouts do have benefits. They really do add up. You hear the expression, catching up on my sleep. That's a real thing, you know? And so naps could be very beneficial if you do not get enough sleep at night and they can have those health benefits. But we don't want naps to go longer than 20 minutes because the longer the nap is, the more it's going to put you into that deep sleep stage, which makes you groggy and it's going to upset that sleep pressure system too much. It's going to use up a little bit too much of those scraps. And we need those scraps to get you sleepy for bedtime. Now let's talk about bedtime. You want to start winding down about two hours before sleep. You want to do this mentally, emotionally, physically, visually. I have found I that when I would go to bed, if I was distracting myself all day until my head hit the pillow, well, all of the thoughts I was ignoring or not processing or not talking about, well, that was their opportunity to take over my brain. So I thought one day, let me sit in quiet about three hours before bed, two hours before bed, um, maybe sit outside, just sit somewhere quiet and just let my brain basically go crazy, <laughs> go through all its thoughts, go through all its, you know, lists and concerns and whatnot and deal with them not in bed. And so you might want to try something like that. Try to deal with stress and emotions and your thoughts earlier on so that when you get those brief awakenings throughout the night and early morning, they don't turn your brain on into super drive at the first chance they get. Okay, so that step is to start winding down two hours before sleep. Also, we've already said try not to drink too much before bed. Little sips, of course, if you're thirsty. You don't want to go to bed thirsty um, and not working out or getting exercise two hours before bedtime. But also, if you can, 
try not to eat for two hours before bedtime because digestion can disturb the sleep cycle. Although just like with thirst, if you're actually having physical hunger pangs, we'll eat a small snack, all right? Next, caffeine. I mentioned Red Bull, but coffee as well. Caffeine, of course, we know is a stimulant. We know it wakes you up. That's why people use it. But I don't think we realize how long caffeine lasts in our bodies. Caffeine has a six-hour half-life. And what that means is if you have a coffee at 4 p.m., half of that caffeine, it's still in your system at 10 p.m., Okay, so your innocent 4 p.m. cup of coffee means you still have half a cup's worth of caffeine in your system at 10 p.m. You can see the problem there. So you want to have caffeine early in the day, early in the day, first half of your day, considering that, okay, six hours from now, am I trying to sleep? Nine hours from now, I'm still going to have a quarter amount of that caffeine in my body. So Start working with that and maybe adjust your caffeine intake. Caffeine's not just in your coffee. I mentioned those energy drinks have caffeine. Um, Some tea, well, most tea that's not herbal or decaffeinated has caffeine, of course. Chocolate, cocoa powder, those have caffeine. Avoid too much alcohol. Now, it's funny because some people try to use alcohol to fall asleep. And yes, it can help you with that initial sleepiness and falling asleep, but Alcohol disrupts sleep throughout the rest of the night, and that effect increases as we get older. So alcohol is actually not good for people who have trouble sleeping or staying asleep throughout the night and not getting up early. So try to avoid too much alcohol. Let's talk about environment now, environment for your sleep. Keep artificial lights to a minimum for two hours before bed. You're seeing a pattern here. If you normally go to bed at 10, at eight o'clock, you're starting to become aware of setting your mind, your environment, your body ready. You're starting to get ready, planning two hours ahead for bed. And one of those things you need to plan for if you want to sleep is keeping artificial lights, not all lights, I don't mean incandescent light bulbs, um, but... TV, any electronic screens, fluorescent and LED bulbs, because those contain a blue frequency. And that blue frequency, it has the strongest effect on blocking melatonin production. That's why sunlight will stop it because sunlight contains the blue frequency. So unfortunately, a lot of our electronics, our TVs, our screens, our computers, our phone screens, fluorescent lighting, LED bulbs have that blue frequency that's going to block that melatonin production. So a lot of you now have bought the um, blue light glasses. I think there are different qualities of those depending on how much you're spending, but you can try out different kinds of those if you really need to be looking at a screen. Also, you could switch to red lights or at least a yellow light and orange lights in your environment instead of the LED regular white lights or blues. Um, And then yellower incandescent bulbs might work for you. If you really need help, you might take some nights and try just lighting candles. 
just lighting candles. Um, can You might even start feeling the sleepiness come as you sit in a room with just candles when it's dark out. Um, so again, that modern American lifestyle is really fighting against the natural sleep cycle because it's just inundating us with stimulation and in, and these blue light frequencies at all times and just a sense of busyness that we need to be busy and productive up until bed or watching a screen, right? So you can see how this is uh, problematic for our sleep and maybe why most Americans are not getting enough sleep. Also under the category of environment, we want to keep the bedroom for two things and that's it. Intimacy with your spouse and sleep. And that's it. Do not have your room be used for where you lay and watch TV or you grab your computer out or where you're watching your phone at night. Again, you're getting the stimulation or you're getting the blue light frequencies and those are going to disrupt that sleep cycle. So keep the bedroom a private thing just for sleep and intimacy with your spouse. Also, very important to keep your bedroom cool maybe even the verge of cold for some people, but certainly cool. Cool and dark and comfortable and quiet. You might find you need some tools here for that, right? Uh, You live in Florida, you know you're going to be having AC blasting all night long. Prepare for that. Um, Often in the Florida homes, there are the big ceiling fans, so you don't have to use quite as much electricity on your AC But, you know, work out so that you are feeling cool throughout the night and you're not having those patches of heat in the middle of the night. And actually, I I just thought about this. There are some of the memory foam mattresses that build up heat. So if you're finding your memory foam mattress, you feel warm in the middle of the night, you might consider getting um, a cooling gel topper, just something that you might want to consider. Um... For darkness, maybe you're someone who needs a sleep mask. Maybe you need to make sure you have um, light blocking shades, blinds, curtains that cover the whole window. Uh, For quiet, you, I mean, I hope you don't have to wear earplugs because I don't, I mean, you're already having trouble sleeping, sticking weird things in your body. I don't think it's going to help much, but in Instead of maybe silence, maybe you're somebody who would benefit from a fan, a nice steady sound of a fan or a white noise machine. Many people find those very helpful to block out um, more sporadic sounds throughout the night and be able to sleep. Now, if you are laying in bed and you're not sleeping yet, remember, we're going to remember back to the relaxing. Your only job is setting up your body and your environment for sleep and giving that opportunity. Your job is not to force yourself to sleep. You can't do it. You're not judging your sleep. You're not rating your sleep. You're not getting your mind involved in that at all. But if you're laying there for more than 15 or 20 minutes, it's okay. It's part of life. It's part of training. But what you want to do is get up get out of your bedroom, go in another room for up to an hour, then come back and try again. Because you don't want to lay there and keep mistraining the brain to stay awake and alert in bed. Remember, we're retraining. So whatever we're doing habitually over and over, we're training our brain that that's normal and what we want to do. So we don't want to train our brain that to just lay there awake and alert and thinking. If you've been there for 15 or 20 minutes, 
just move your environment. Just go ahead in the other room, maybe go sit with a candle um, or a very low light and, a, and an actual book. You remember those? The ones you actually pick up and hold and turn the pages? Something like that. Or pray, read your Bible next to a very dim incandescent light, even a candle, if you can, if your eyes are that good. Um, and then what you want to do, part of your retraining is what happens in the morning. In the morning, get bright sunlight exposure first thing when you wake up, or if you wake up before the sun, as soon as the sun's available, try to do that within one hour of waking. Get some sunlight in those eyeballs within the first hour of waking because this will reset that internal circadian clock, that circadian rhythm. And then again, in the middle of the day, try to get some more sunlight in your eyeballs. Even if you're just stepping outside for a minute during your lunch break, if you're at work or whatnot, try to get another bout of that sunlight in the middle of the day. Of course, we don't wanna be getting sunlight within two hours of bedtime in the winter, Probably not an issue, but in the summer, depending on where you live, it can take a while for the sun to go down at night. Um, and so you want to protect your eyeballs from that if you're really struggling with sleep. Now, there are some natural nutritional helps um, and other natural remedies, so to speak, that, that can help booster your ability to sleep. Well, first, there is a supplement for melatonin, but but please just don't run out and get your own melatonin at the drugstore. Um, this is not a good practice. And two weeks from now, I'm going to be talking about getting your own supplements and taking them. We're going to talk about that seriously. But right now, check with your doctor. Check with your doctor. And your doctor may very well give you a few milligrams a couple hours before bedtime, but it's going to be a temporary system a temporary therapy because, again, we want to train your body to make its own melatonin in this cycle. We don't want to replace it so your body reads, oh, I have melatonin. I don't need to make it. All right. So it's just a temporary help to get you over this pattern. So that's why you don't want to be grabbing it yourself and taking it and doing that indefinitely. It doesn't benefit you in the long run for your sleep. Lavender, um, the smell of lavender uh, can have an effect on your olfactory nervous system. So lavender smell can have some calming effects. Now, kiwi, kiwi fruits, if you eat, say, two an hour before your bedtime, Kiwi fruits, research has shown, help produce melatonin. So about an hour before bed, if you have a couple kiwis, go ahead and eat that. Now, I know I said try not to eat within two hours of bed, but this is an exception. You can try this out. Also, there's a certain cherry called Montmorency or any tart cherry or tart cherry juice. Research has shown that to be beneficial to help your body produce melatonin. It encourages that melatonin production. So it's far easier to find the juice. It's very expensive though. I will tell you the concentrate it's sold in, it's really expensive, but you don't need very much of it. You want 30 milliliter concentration. You want just 30 milliliters of that concentrate. Or if you have the juice, the not concentrate, then one cup, one cup within 30 minutes after you wake in the morning, 
and 30 minutes before you go to bed. So twice a day, a half hour after you wake and a half hour before you go to bed, you're gonna have either 30 milliliters of the concentrate of tart cherry juice, especially the Montmorency, or eight ounces, one cup, okay? So those are just some natural remedies. Again, the melatonin, always check with your doctor. You don't wanna become dependent on a supplement when your body is supposed to be making something on its own. Now, if you have honestly done all these suggestions, you're not skipping any, you're not making excuses, well, the screens at night don't bother me, I'm gonna watch this, I'm gonna check out my phone. If you're being consistent and you're disciplining yourself in these things and you're doing them daily and you have done them for a couple weeks and you still cannot sleep, then revisit your doctor to check if there's an underlying cause that needs to be addressed, okay? There are also specialists in the medical field that deal with sleep. So you might be at that point where you need that, but give it a fair shot. Be consistent for a couple weeks and do every one of the items on the sleep hygiene, okay? During this retraining, during this retraining, let me reiterate, try not to get upset or frustrated when you're awake in the middle of the night. Use that as the gift of time. If you get frustrated, you're gonna set the system back for that night, not not forever. It's, <laughs> I don't wanna add problems to problems. Um, we all get frustrated when we can't sleep. But if you can redirect your mind and look at it as, okay, well, I can have time to pray. I don't spend enough time praying or I'm obviously very stressed. Let me pray about these things. Um, that's the gift of time for you with the Lord. Again, please take a moment and just download the checklist so you don't have to try and memorize all these steps because I really want you to use every single one of these steps very consistently every night. So download your free checklist at cherylsharko.com slash sleep, and then print it out. Have it with you. Have it with you. And two hours before bed every night, you're looking at that list. You're checking off the things. You're making the changes. Involve your spouse. Involve your family. Let them know what's going on and that you need help and support with this. Um, the link is also in the show notes. So please take advantage of that. Now, next week, Next week, we're going to discuss what to do for optimal health and sleep and nutrition. Particular challenge with sleep, shift workers. Oh, shift workers, you're amazing. So if you or someone you love does that 11P to 7A grind, make sure to tune in next week for some very practical help for getting great sleep and nutrition while working a night shift job, which is particularly, particularly challenging. And until then, remember 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'll see you next time. Ladies, if this topic or any other podcast episode has been valuable to you, please help me get this information out to others who could benefit from it too by leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcast and sharing the episode on your social media. Or you can always come to any of my socials and like, comment, and share that way. This helps other people know it's important information that can benefit them as well. Thank you for helping.